Okay, so you're here for some great church leadership content. The podcast is great, but there's also another piece of content you need to be enjoying each week. It is the Leading Saints email newsletter. Now I get it. Email newsletters feel so 2006, you know, but it isn't as old fashioned as you might think. It's actually one of the most popular pieces of content that Leading Saints produces. Each week, I share a unique leadership thought that can only be found in the newsletter. I keep it short and sweet. Most can read it in less than five minutes. And then we share with you recent content you might have missed, throwback episodes, and Leading Saints events that happen more often than you might anticipate. If you want to make sure you are on the email list, simply visit leadingsaints.org 14. That's leadingsaints.org 14. That will also get you 14 days access to our full library of content not available to the general public. So look for Leading Saints in your inbox by going to leadingsaints.org 14 or click the link in the show notes. The following episode is a throwback episode, one that was published previously and was extremely popular. To see the details of when this was originally published, see the show notes. Enjoy this throwback episode. Welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast. This is Kurt Frankum, your host. And if you're new to Leading Saints, well, welcome. This is where you belong. <laughs> There's sort of an inside joke that you'll find out later in this episode, but This is a great place where we discuss all things leadership in the context of being a Latter-day Saint because our mission at Leading Saints as a nonprofit organization is to help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through the podcast. We have thousands of online articles that you can find at leadingsaints.org. We have a fantastic newsletter that I send out every Tuesday. And if you're not on it, it is probably one of the more popular items of Leading Saints uh, that we get a fantastic response to. So you can go to Leading Saints dot org slash subscribe to be part of that. But nonetheless, welcome. And I hope you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast streamer, whatever you call them, and make this a routine in your week and uh, hope you benefit from this. And you will benefit from this interview for sure, because I interview Melody Warnick from Blacksburg, Virginia, and she wrote a fantastic book called This Is Where You Belong. And a friend recommended it to me and uh, I read it and we both uh, speculated that she may be a Latter-day Saint since she went to BYU and, uh, you know, you can just tell. And uh, sure enough, I reached out to her. Not only is she a Latter-day Saint, but she is a fan of the Leading Saints podcast. So it was fun to uh, bring one of the listeners onto the podcast and discuss this topic. And the topic is, is, is just that. Where, where do you belong? Where do you live? What do you, we need to understand about our communities, especially our ward communities? What if I don't like my ward? What if I'm having a hard time transitioning to this ward? Or what if I hate leaving the the ward that I have to leave from because I got a job offer out of state? Like there's all these dynamics when it comes to being part of a a faith tradition that uh, really basically requires you to go to a specific ward, right? To go to a specific church in your area. And it's, uh, you know, you have to get special permission to go anywhere else. And so that brings some some friction, some dynamics to the surface that can be a little bit difficult to to reconcile. And uh, her book and her research as far as, you know, where to live, which she wrote for a a non-Latter-day Saint audience, but nonetheless, there's so many principles within the book that apply. And we give her a chance to talk about some of these principles in the context of her faith tradition as a Latter-day Saint. So you're going to love it. It's a little long interview, but I don't know. I really enjoyed it and kept going. So here is my interview with Melody Warnick, the author of This Is Where You Belong.
Today, I have the opportunity through the power of the internet to sit down with Melody Warnick. How are you, Melody? I'm great. Thanks for having me here, Kurt. Yeah, this is this is fun. I'm I'm really. I mean, I look forward to most interviews I do. I mean, I try and only interview people I want to interview. But this discussion specifically has a lot of uh, application in my life, so I'm looking forward to discussing further. But let me it kind of a unique way of how we got set up in this interview is I went to lunch with a friend. And uh, he lives up in uh, in uh, Burley, Idaho, and and he's been contemplating moving, and and it, you know they've been praying about it, not sure. And he's like, "Oh, I read this book. You got to read it." And so, and it's your book, which is there's this is where you belong. And uh, and I so I, I read it, and he's like, "And I think she may be a Latter Day Saint because she says something about Provo or BYU in there." And so I read the book, and I loved it, and I reached out to you on Instagram. And I said, hey, can I interview you? And, and you said, I listen to your podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because the book was published by Penguin. So it, you know, it went out to a, a non-LDS audience. And I didn't talk overtly about the church in the book. I kind of hinted around at it. And if you if you look at my bio, you'll see that I went to BYU. But I've had some people contact me and be like, so... My book club read this and we thought maybe you remember the church. And yeah, so nice. yes, I am. Cool. Well, and that was great that not only uh, are you a member, but I guess your husband's a, a stake president there in your he area. He is a stake president. Yep. Nice. How's that going? <laughs> um, it, it has been a really interesting experience. It's only been about a year and a half. So it feels like we're still kind of trying to wrap our heads around it. Mm. But it's been a blessing too. Yeah. Lots of opportunities to learn and grow and and definitely put down roots even more where we live. You know, yeah. you feel like the more you serve, the more connected you are to this area and to the people here. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And uh, it's a long road ahead, but nonetheless, I think uh, there's more blessings than uh, burdens in, in that process. Yeah. At least I hope. <laughs> I know. I hope so too. Right. I, think, nice. I think there will be. So you, you and your husband, you uh, take find time here and there to listen to episodes of Leading Saints. Is there any specific episode that stood out above others? Or? Yeah. I'm putting you on the spot, I realize. No. So we we live in a state that is, it's probably going to be hard for Utah listeners to understand, but it is incredibly geographically spread out. We have 11 units in two states. And so to go from one end of the state to the other, probably be about a three hour drive. Hmm. So when my husband's going out to the the outer reaches of the stake. It can be long rides in the car. Sometimes I go with them, you know, to unit conferences and we'll listen to the podcast. But we listened to one and I'm I'm not, I'm going to blank on the name of who it was, but it was stake president of a YSA stake in Utah. Uh, And Rob Farrell, the legend. Yeah. (laughs) It made a huge impact on us to hear what he had to say about what those people in that age group really need, which is love and a handle on repentance, (laughs) just kind of his message of being welcoming to all kinds of people. We have a a YSA unit in our state and Mm. uh, and just personally, I've worked a lot with the youth and we're always just trying to figure out how to be better at that. So I loved his kind of very thoughtful, but also practical advice about working with, with young adults and young people. Yeah, no, it's it's been definitely the most downloaded episode and uh, getting a lot of positive feedback. And, and we do have some follow-up content coming. So it's, good. in a few weeks, there'll be more uh, Rob Farrell in the <laughs> leading saints world. So 
So let's uh, pivot back to your your book, the, the book called This Is Where You Belong. And is there a subtitle? I didn't know to hear. Yeah, it, the subtitle actually changed. Um, it used to be The Art and Science of Loving the Place You Live. And then in the paperback, it became Finding Home Wherever You Are. But yes. Oh, cool. Now, what what led to you waking up and thinking, I'm going to write a book and it's going to be about where people live? So a couple things, to be honest. I had spent my career as a freelance writer. You know, my first magazine article was St. George Magazine in Southern Utah. um, And then kind of started writing for national magazines. I wrote for Better Homes and Gardens and Woman's Day and Oh, and, and stuff like that. So I'd kind of been casting around for a book that I could write, but I wanted it to be something helpful to me, meaningful to me. And we were also, my husband and I, in this position of moving. We, he, he did grad school in Iowa. We lived there for six years and really loved it. And then we moved to Austin, Texas, and had a little bit of a harder time settling in there. And then all of a sudden, my husband starts, you know, he finds a, a job ad for what appears to be his dream job at Virginia Tech University in Blacksburg, Virginia, this place we'd never been. And all of a sudden we're, we're moving again. I felt like when you're in the middle of moving or if you've recently done it, it really consumes your whole life. It's so overwhelming. It changes everything about, about your situation in some ways good and in some ways bad. And there weren't really any guides to that process. So. I started thinking I had a lot of friends in that same boat who were moving around. And I thought, we, we need help with this. We, we need to figure out how to do this. So part of it was just my own. I started writing about my experience of moving to Blacksburg, Virginia, this, which is a college town of about 40,000 people in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Southwest Virginia. So we are way closer to North Carolina and Tennessee and West Virginia than we are to Northern Virginia or the beach and trying to convince myself to love it here. So the story, the book is filled with some of my own experience, but also a lot of science and other people's experiences as well. And I just wanted it to be something to help me through and hopefully to help other people through the process of connecting with a community. Yeah. So I would imagine writing a book like this, obviously you go to a lot of, you know, you, you research the, or you, or you look at the research and see what's been done out, out there or study out there as far as where people live and, and you go from there. But you also decided to do some experiments and, and was it from the beginning, did you know you were going to do some experiments uh, in your own town there? I came onto the idea fairly quickly because I realized that learning to love your place is, it's sort of a mindset shift. You know, it's kind of a bloom where you plant, where you're planted attitude, but it also required some behavior change. I started realizing that there are people around me who love it here. I need to do the kinds of things, the the behaviors that they're doing. So looking at the research and looking at, you know, in some cases, just anecdotal evidence from what other people are doing. I hit on these um, 10 ideas and I turned them into what I call kind of cheesy <laughs> love where you live experiments. And these were just sort of behavior chains, uh, changes, micro action steps that I could take in my community. So for instance, there's a lot of research that say when people live in walkable communities, they tend to enjoy it more. They Real estate prices are higher in walkable communities. People feel more connected to their town. And so I started walking more and, and riding my bike more. There's a lot of 
evidence that eating local food is something that people do when they're also really civically engaged. And so I started shopping at the farmer's market. I patronized local businesses. I started volunteering more in my community. And some of it, you know, was just fun. I kind of developed theories as I went along. And one of my theories was every town is good at something. You just have to figure out what your town is good at and do it. And so here in Blacksburg, home of Virginia Tech, uh, hokey football is huge. <laughs> tailgating yeah, is, is kind yeah. of like this huge week of things. And members of the church were not great tailgaters <laughs> because we don't yeah. we don't drink. <laughs> and I personally am not hugely into football, but I we went to a couple games just because it's like this is what people do in our community and learn to love it. So, yeah. so that was kind of the idea there is even when you're in a community where you don't feel instantly at home, and it may be a place that you've lived a while, you can intentionally, consciously try to create positive feelings for yourself. Yeah. So, and, and I enjoyed listening or reading and hearing about your different experiments that you tried. And some thought, man, maybe I could try that more. And it even made me, you know, you talk about as far as shopping local. And I found myself realize, oh, you know, I do typically go to that larger chain down the street, but I could drive literally a half a mile more and go to this other grocery store that I know is, I mean, the owners are the ones like stocking the shelves and doing those things. And just to hear that, you know, that that dollar will stay in the community longer and all these things like, man, I could probably do that. And a lot of it, like you said, and I'm sort of going on a tangent here is I think you said something like you just have to spend $50 a month at a locally own place. And that really makes difference enough. Yeah, that was my theory. Interestingly, the study, the major study that talks about this idea, it's called the local multiplier effect, which is the idea that if you spend money at locally owned independent shops and and restaurants, that three times that money will circulate locally, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to, you know, leaving town and going off to Target in Minneapolis headquarters or whatever. The study that revealed that idea of the local multiplier effect took place in Salt Lake. So all the examples that they give in the study are like, you know, the King's English bookshop and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, it's one of those things that can have an outsized impact on where we live. But a lot of us don't think about it because it's kind of harder. You know, it's easier to just go to Costco or go to Target or, you know, huge chain grocery stores. But it can be like, a fairly minor shift in behavior can have a, a big impact where you live. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's what I appreciate. It wasn't like, you know, I I've have friends who completely have sworn off of Walmart, right? They won't even darken the door. I'm not going there. They just completely disagree with Walmart. But I just love the balance. Of like, it's not like you have to quit Walmart or Target, but you can maybe take a moment and just swing by the local store when you have some time and, and spend some money there, right? Right. Yeah. And I, I will be the first to admit that I still shop at Target. You know, I still shop at Walmart. Yeah. I'm not I'm not perfect at this, but I try and be a little more conscious of how my behaviors are creating the the kind of place I want to live in. You know, if I want to live yeah. in a place that has a variety of local shops or restaurants, I have to patronize those businesses. It's not enough to like go into the local cute toy shop that you know, is adorable, but is a little more expensive than the clearance aisle at Target and, you know, spend time looking around and then go home and order all those things on the internet. You know, we have to actually support the businesses in our town. And, and honestly, to me, it's, it's a way of, in some cases being Christ-like, 
one of the stories I tell in the book is about a man named Leonard Fitch who lived, ran a grocery store in a really small town in Kentucky and had seen his business drop off a cliff when Walmart came to town and the dollar store. And um, a man named Jay Leeson who lived in the town and was a seminary student, not an LDS seminary student, but, you know, Christian seminary student. (laughs) He was disturbed by how loath we are to keep this, to spend the money to keep a man like this in town. You know, we were so interested in getting the bargain that we put that over neighborliness. And so he started talking about practicing what he called neighborly economics to remember that there's more to our communities than just money. There's more to shopping than saving a few bucks that all of these things that we do are creating community. They're allowing other people to have livelihoods and and those things matter as well. Yeah. And I I appreciated just generally looking at your research and your writing that you did is as I was going through it, you know, I found it helpful just understanding how I could find my place, my own community and give back and be a good a good uh, local citizen. But also I sort of felt like I could replace every place that said community or town, I could put in ward or stake in there. And some of the principles still applied because, and this, uh, I told you before we record, this is sort of a, going to turn into a personal counseling session for me because (laughs) over the last three years, I, our family's moved. We're renting right now for various reasons. One of them being I'm, you know, technically self-employed and uh, mortgage companies don't like to deal with guys like me. And so we're working to to convince them to give us a home loan so we can buy a home. So nonetheless, we've we've moved around. But we came from a stake where uh, we lived for 10 years. I served as a bishop for five of those years. I was in the stake presidency. I, I was in that, that uh, socially and even locally, we were established. We had roots. We knew people. We felt at home there. And then to move, even though we moved you know, in the Salt Lake Valley, we're technically still in the same city or town. But when we move in this church, even when we move down the street, if you're in Utah, suddenly you're in a different ward or stake. And that it almost, I mean, it feels like you've moved a different town. Your, your social connections have, have completely changed. Even though I can go, like my, my daughter could still go, like, we could drive her down the street to those friends. We just don't see ourselves doing that. We look for people in the ward that our daughter can hang out with or, right. And so what thoughts came to mind or where do we begin the discussion of applying some of these principles to living in a ward or stake and, and how that dynamic, because it really, if you wrote this book for Desiree book, you could slide in a few more chapters as far as what this means for a ward or stake, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Our wards and stakes are our communities and they're place-based. Unlike any other church I can think of, except maybe the Catholic church, which does kind of geography-based parishes. We are a church that very firmly (laughs) tells you where to go to church based on your address. And it's a big deal. (laughs) You know, we, we don't, you know, if you're in a state presidency or whatever, you know that you really want people to attend where they're meant to attend. It's kind of a, an issue in the church. Why does it matter so much? I think it's, you know, there are some logistic things that go along with it. We need to know who we have stewardship over and where we can hold callings and things like that. But I also think that the idea of giving people a church home based on their geography is a way for us to become a little more Christ-like. We're not choosing who to hang out with. Yeah. We're being told this is this is where you are and make it your home, make it your community. 
And sometimes that goes really well. And it's really Mm -hmm. easy to settle into a community. You feel very welcome at once. And sometimes it takes a lot longer. And we certainly can be in, in wards or branches where, you know, many years later, we were still struggling a little. Um, But I think, you know, it's an opportunity for us to kind of push past it in the way that I talk about in the book about being intentional about our behaviors and trying things to actively create that connection. I think we can do that in, in our wards and branches as well. We can seek to create connection. We can seek to create a sense of community. We can seek to love our fellow ward members instead of being irritated with them. And it takes work. (laughs) It's not always easy, but I think it helps us grow maybe faster than if we could just choose to go wherever our best friends were already attending or our parents or whatever. Yeah. Or or the the ward that has that really cool bishop, you know, or whatever. The the ones that do the ski trip during, you know, with the youth during winter. Yeah. And I think it just takes away that easy out, right? That if we're in a a non-denominational Christian faith tradition, we could say, ah, oh, this church really isn't jiving with me. I'm going to see what else is out there in our town, right? And you could go shop around. But like moving to a place like Blacksburg, Virginia, you can't just say, well, I'm not really feeling it. Let's move. Because there's so many dynamics. You can't just move, right? You have to sell your home or, you know, find a new place to live. It's nothing you can just do like you can change a church. So I like that perspective of, you know, there is some benefit in being in a place that you can't necessarily easily just get out. Now, obviously, there's some things you could do to get permission, but that permission is rarely given. But there's definitely a good a good side of being a little bit trapped, right? Right. And I mean, think of the good side of not having to church shop when you move to a new place. You know, like there is definitely comfort in moving to a community, especially, you know, imagine moving to a new state. You don't know anyone. And you move into this house and people you don't even know will show up to help you move your stuff in, you know, like members of the church are the best moving crew in the world. (laughs) And, you know, like this is what we do all summer here in Blacksburg, help people move in and out. And I think that happens kind of all over the world. So you have kind of these instant friends. I think in the book I, you know, talked about, I have a chapter about making friends and why that matters so much for people who are not members of the church, this is unbelievably difficult. Moving to a brand new community across the country and being like, oh my gosh, how do I, how do I meet someone? Like, who are my friends going to be? But for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, basically all you have to do is show up on Sunday and you kind of have people who, if not instant friends, they're sort of morally obligated to be nice to you. And they become your tribe. You know, you already have a lot mm-hmm. in common with them and they are likely to be the people, you know, who ask you to dinner, your kids play with their kids. It really is kind of an amazing setup to have that sort of instant community, no matter where you are in the world. Yeah. And I think that's that's a good way to look at it. Is in our faith tradition, you don't necessarily move into a ward, but you really do move into a community. And it's an established community that sort of has some infrastructure already built in, right? If if you're looking for a friend, well, you have an opportunity to sit by somebody or meet somebody new where if you didn't have that faith tradition, you have to maybe be a little more proactive, go knock on a door and or go to the the a local community event mm-hmm. or whatever. But this is sort of like this community event, you sort of <laughs> 
are expected to go because, you know, you go to church and that's what you've always done. And, and while you're there, you can join that community. Right. And, and there's kind of like this really nice familiarity to it that even when you are in an unfamiliar ward with people that you don't know, um, there are things about it that are going to be the same. <laughs> you know, you know that someone's going to stand up and and conduct sacrament. You know that the sacrament prayers are yeah. going to be the same. And um, so, even if the building looks different, even if there's you know eight people and your last ward had three hundred, there are elements, um, you know, basic beautiful elements that will be the same. And when you're mobile, when you've moved, that is incredibly powerful. Um, we, we kind of, we hold on to those things and it's, it's really a blessing to be able to just show up and be like, ah, this, this is church. I know this, I I get this. Um, and you know, like sometimes those friends happen right away and sometimes it it can take a while, especially in a larger unit to kind of figure out who do I want to hang out with? Um, but in general, you have people who welcome you and they want you to be there. And that's, that feels really good. Yeah. And so I think the one uh, one first big principle that I'm taking from this is first just recognize the beauty of some these wards that are sort of little established communities that you sort of walk into a, a new area with some infrastructure, some uh, some uh, models to uh, that can welcome you more openly uh, rather than being it all upon your shoulders or to be proactive and go find it. But what would you say to the person who's like, yeah, Melody, you just don't understand. You, if you came to my ward, I mean, these people are are awful. I mean, they don't even look at me or, you know, you hear these horror stories, right? And, and I get these emails all the time. Like, what would you give somebody who, or what would you tell somebody who has been in an area they've, they've tried, but they just can't seem to fit into that ward or that community? It happens and, and it's really hard. And I think it's happening more often as our nation gets more and more polarized that we we feel it harder. Um, we, we want people to be really like us. And when they're not, we struggle with them. Um, we are quick to kind of feel marginalized. Um, and, and that's a genuine problem. Um, I think probably in every unit in, in our church, there are probably at least some people who feel like they don't belong. Um, like they don't fit in. I think it's, something that leaders really need to pay attention to. Who are the people in in this ward or in this branch who who don't have friends, who aren't getting invited to dinner, who, you know, maybe aren't showing up as often because people don't say hello to them. Um, there definitely are units that are a little more standoffish um, or where maybe a, a, you know, run in with someone has, uh, challenged all your social relationships. I think our best approach to that problem is to do what the savior did and love people anyway. We can't always control how people treat us, but we can, we can be loving. We can seek to serve other people and that can, you know, soften their hearts and also soften ours. One of the things I learned from writing the book and you know, working on falling in love with a place and, you know, a place-based community was that happens most easily when we really engage, when we, when we dive in. So I tend to think that the more engaged you are in your ward or your branch, the more you're going to feel at home there. And maybe not with everyone, like 
definitely, you know, I am familiar with with wards and branches where there are people who just who just aren't welcoming and make it hard for others. But within I've never seen a ward or branch where everyone's like that. And so if you deepen your engagement, and by that, I mean, really dive into your calling, dive into your ministering assignments, show up for events, invite people to your home. Don't wait for people to invite you or, you know, feel left out because someone didn't sit by you, go sit by them. Actually, I gave a talk in state conference last year. And it was about this. It was about how even people that on the outside look totally popular in our wards and socially accepted sometimes feel on the outs. We feel like we don't fit in for whatever reason. You know, we're single or we're of a different ethnic background or we don't have kids or we don't have enough kids or, you know, there's a million reasons why we can feel sometimes different or other or left out. And I was surprised by how many people came up to me afterward, you know, for weeks afterward to to be like, I needed that talk. People that I never would have thought in a million years ever felt like that. People who just seemed like they had everything together and everyone loved them. But it's something that we all feel from time to time. You know, why didn't someone sit by me in Relief Society or all my friends went and talked to someone else after sacrament meeting. No one talked to me. And I think we, it's normal to feel sad or lonely from time to time in those situations, but we can't necessarily wait for someone to solve it for us. We have to be pretty proactive about solving it for ourselves and being mindful of people who might feel that way. One of the things I, yeah. I mentioned in this state conference talk was don't make circles, make horseshoes. It's not my idea. <laughs> I read it somewhere, but you know, like, this sense that when you're talking with your friends at church, leave an opening for other people. Don't be, be conscious of trying not to form a clique. Be conscious of who might feel left out and actively try to, try to include those people. Yeah. You know, I, you said a few things there I want to touch on. The first one I'll, I'll mention is I just loved your approach in the book. You know, you talk about being proactive and really if you're in a ward and this used to happen all the time in the, in the ward where I was a bishop, it was a very transient ward. And it'd be so funny. Some people would set up an appointments or just casually talk to me in, in the hall and say, you know, Bishop, I just feel like this ward isn't very welcoming. Like I'm new and nobody's really reached out. And I said, let me tell you something. Everybody here is new. So <laughs> if they haven't reached out to you, that because they're waiting for you to reach out to them. So just reach out to somebody. Right. And so there has to be this sort of get in this mind frame of, of being proactive. And I've found that ever since I read your book, like I've been trying these, just these mini experiments in my war, because we've been in, in this current war for, I don't know, I want to say four months. Right. And so I recently got a calling. I'm at the priest quorum advisor, so That helps. But even like walking the sacrament, one, one of the small things I've tried is like, I'm going to sit somewhere different every week and it doesn't have to be dramatic. So, so when one week we sat in the back and that didn't really work for various reasons with a four and a seven-year-old. And then we tried a different place, right? And because everybody sort of has their place. That's like the old joke with, with church. Everybody has their right, place. Right. Like you have I to be careful to, <laughs> to not sit in yeah, some exactly. place. Yeah, exactly. I could make enemies right. very quickly. <laughs> but nonetheless, I found it, I could sit somewhere different and it would be very easy at the end of the meeting to, as we you know, are collecting our things, standing up, I could turn and there'd be something, someone new I could introduce myself to or make a comment or or connect with, right? And so, like you said, I think it's, and not that you, and, and maybe you have some ideas, you've already lift, lift, listed off a few, but as far as just being proactive with maybe these little experiments to see how you can, how you can 
you know, mix it up a little bit. Right. I think people are surprisingly responsive to that. And it, it takes some effort, you know, especially if you're introvert or you're shy or whatever, like going up to a stranger and, and saying hello and introducing yourself. It takes something, but it can have a really dramatic impact on yourself and on the people around you. We last week we went on vacation. We spent the weekend in Greenville, South Carolina, you know, went to a strange ward on Sunday. That's always kind of an awkward experience, you know, walking yeah, yeah. in. You don't know anyone. <laughs> and you're just kind of like, we just need to keep our heads down and get out of here as fast as we can. Get the sacrament. Right, exactly. Run get the, the sacrament kids, run. Right? Um no. <laughs> so, you know, we stayed till the end of sacrament and a woman came up to us and just kind of started chatting with us. Hey, are you guys visiting? And it was, you know, it was like three minutes or something, but that the feeling of being seen, you know, like someone noticed yeah. us and someone saw that they didn't know us and they just said, hi, that's huge. So I, I'm not always great at that, but I try and do that, you know, to notice the people who are new to say hello, even if it's something dumb, like, I'm not sure I've met you before, or I can't remember your name, <laughs> you know, like, forgive yeah, me, but yeah. tell me your name again. And people respond to that. They want to be seen for the most part. They want to have someone acknowledge them. And it would be great if all we had to do was sit back and people would come up to us, but that's not maybe realistic to expect that. Yeah. And it makes me, as far as the um, community aspect of a ward or a stake that we sort of wait for, it's like that when we get that calling in the area, that's like our initiation. Like you have officially been welcomed into our community, right? Like we want you. Responsibility. <laughs> yeah. We want you and your skill yes. set, right? And that's always nice. But now callings are becoming fewer and fewer, you know, as far as those of the official traditional callings. And, and what are your thoughts on that? As far as I guess, I guess it comes down to, we just can't wait for that calling to initiate us or give us purpose in that ward community. Yeah. I mean, like, ideally, we're still going by, you know, the Gordon B. Hinckley model that everyone's going to have a calling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it can, you know, in transient wards, especially, it can take time to get those callings. I think one of the reasons we crave calling so much is it gives us an identity in the ward. It gives us kind of a, a purpose and a function. Yeah. And all of a sudden, people look at you like, oh, you're the priest quorum advisor. Now we, now we respect you. Yeah. But you know, we don't have to have callings to serve. We can find ways to serve above and beyond our callings. So, you know, even if you do have a calling and maybe it's not taking a ton of your time, I was a seminary teacher here, early morning seminary teacher for four years, and that's a time-consuming calling. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, I got released and now I'm a youth Sunday school teacher. I only teach once a month. So this is not exactly absorbing all my time. So, you know, I think let's be like President Monson or, you know, Elder Maxwell and have a personal ministry, like have things that we're doing on our own to serve and reach out to people that don't come from a calling, that just come from a, a desire to, to be of service and, and to help yeah. other people. You know, and I think a, a super simple way to do that is just have people over for dinner you know, like yeah. invite people into your home, or if that's not comfortable, invite people to meet up, you know, at a park or a restaurant or something, and just try and build connections for yourself in your ward, because it helps you. And it also helps other people. Yeah. And I think I, I mean, that's great. I think on paper, we all want to be that person who is just proactive, they're, they're, you know, serving here and there. 
but I found with, with me, I just know with my nature, like if I don't have something official or if I don't have accountability, it typically doesn't happen. And so I've, I've tried to do that, but also tried to add that extra layer of actually approaching the bishopric. And for example, in, my, in the last ward, in these three wards we've lived in in the last three years, I realized that there were a few callings and I was in Holiday, Utah. I mean, literally 50 men in that ward could be fantastic bishops. I mean, they're just very capable people. And I knew that, you know, I wasn't going, if I just sat around, that calling wasn't going to find me. So I sent an email to the bishopric and I said, look, I get it. There's not a lot of callings, but I really want to be engaged in this ward. And and so here's some ideas. And I gave him a few ideas. And one of those ideas was, I told him, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a podcaster. That's what I do. Like, and so I know how to do a podcast. Maybe it'd be interesting if I went around with my microphone and I recorded some living histories of people in the ward. And my bishop just like, oh my goodness, like that's fantastic. Would you please do that? And it was like, now I have these like recordings and, and we, you know, created a podcast feed for the ward through anchor.com. It's a free, free podcast host. And, uh, and I had these remarkable conversations with, you know, 80 year old sisters in the ward about their remarkable life. Right. And I just, I felt so much part of that community. Now I could have said, I'm going to be a good person and I'm going to go visit one person every week. Right. And that's just going to be, but I had to like make it official. And, and, you know, they called me as the living history specialist, some silly title that we give ourselves. But nonetheless, you know, I stood in sacrament, I was sustained. I, so I would even say like, take that extra effort of approaching the bishopric and saying, here's some ideas, make up a calling, like give me something, right? Because again, I, it really is this unofficial initiation into that community and it gives you some accountability. Anyways, that, I love that so much. And, you know, I think bishoprics and, and state presidencies are so you know, they're so overburdened. If someone comes to them and offers help, if they offer a oh, yeah. skill set, gosh, I think most, most people would welcome that. And I love that idea of, you know, taking something that you're good at, that's a talent and offering. Yeah. And you, you mentioned this in the book, right? right? Like taking your talent to to the community. Right. One of the examples that I share in the book is it's a program called Code for America and people who are, you know, coders or they're, you know, tech savvy in some way can do projects for their community, like create apps or whatever, you know, like an app that maps all the parks in your town or, or something like that. And it's a way of kind of serving in your community that doesn't necessarily mean like taking time out of your workday to show up at the food pantry or something. It's using skills you have in the time you have available to offer something to your community. So in just the same way you can do that in the place you live, the actual, you know, physical location, you can certainly do that in the community of your ward or branch and offer something that, you know, might be of value, whether it's like, I make a killer program or, you know, like, I know one of the huge issues in our stake is we don't have pictures in the, the online directory. What if someone who was a great <laughs> photographer just said, I'm going to, I'm going to take everyone's picture. That would be a huge blessing. And yeah, it gives you some accountability and it lets your bishopric know that you want to contribute, which is, which is great. Yeah. And I, and I love that, that, you know, really do a self-assessment of your, your talents and skills and then offer it to, to the ward. But, and I've, I've talked about this at length before. One of my biggest pet peeves is, as a bishop was when people would come to me and say, so bishop, anything I can do for you or anything I can do right here? I'd just be like, I've got all this stuff to do now. You've given me this assignment that I've got to figure out what you can do. You know, I'm like, ah, like, don't just look around, go do something, you know? And so I would say like, 
Don't approach your bishop break and say, hey, just know I'm, I'm on the sidelines here, ready to go. Just let me know what I can do. Like really think about this and say, if I was to design a calling with my skill set, I'm going to take you to the bishop break and maybe they want, don't want to do it and maybe they do, but at least I'm going to offer. But I think that really engages somebody in their community when they do. Right. You know, like we've had people in our ward who were just really passionate about pioneers. And so they organized this amazing Pioneer Day activity out here in Virginia. We have to organize our own awesome Pioneer Day activities. Yeah. And, you know, we've had people do amazing nativity plays and so all the the costumes and stuff for the kids. And so, you know, we're kind of Sometimes we get in this habit in the church of waiting to be asked to do something and sometimes worrying that we're overstepping if we offer without first being asked. But I think there's a lot more room maybe than we think there is for using our talents, you know, finding an outlet, finding a project that you want to do and bringing it to your bishop or your, or your Relief Society president and saying, hey, what if I did this? And, you know, maybe they'll say, oh, that, you know, that's not fitting in with what we want to do right now. But chances are pretty good. They'll be supportive. And it gives you yeah. this great way to be involved. Yeah, I would say nine times out of 10, if you, anybody can look around the ward and say, you know, what, what does this ward really need? Like, or what, what could I really give? The bishop or leadership is not going to turn you down from doing that. I mean, I'm sure if it's some grandiose, like, I want to put on a nightly play and it's <laughs> going to involve everybody in the ward. It's going to be awesome. Like, yeah, there could be some exceptions, but, you know, finding something to do can be great. Another thought I had, as far as community goes, sometimes I feel like in our faith tradition with these wards and we feel like, oh, you know, let's say we have the chili cook-off and we, everybody shows up and we notice, man, that one family, they just don't come. And we almost feel like, no, you, not only do we have to provide the community that we, but you have to like it and you actually have to want it. Like, is there this sense of sometimes people, they just, maybe they find community elsewhere, outside of the church and that's okay. Maybe they just come to the church to renew their covenants and, and get on with their life. Like, do we have to project and interject our, our community on people? I mean, any thoughts on that that you found? I mean, are there people in Blacksburg that just simply, you know what, I, I've got my family here. I don't really care to go to the local you know, chalk art uh, thing, you know? So any thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, that's a great question. We do. We worry about the people who don't show up, you know, at our our church potluck or, you know, like the Relief Society Christmas activity. And we sometimes wonder why it seems like some people are, are choosing to opt out. I don't know that everyone has the same level of need for for that community or is comfortable with it. You know, there are people who struggle with big groups or just may have found kind of a community home somewhere else in the community. And I think that is okay. You know, like we, we certainly want you to feel enough a part of this community that you're showing up to church and you're taking the sacrament and you feel comfortable holding a calling. But I also think we sometimes as members of the church think our community is only church and all our friends come from church and everything we do socially happens in and around church. And that cuts us off from a huge, you know, a huge part of our life, which is our non-church community, the place where we live and our neighbors and the people we go to work with. I know sometimes for us, we we find it easier to socialize with members of the church. And and so sometimes we just do the easy thing. <laughs> We're just going to have the people over that 
we know they're not going to bring the bottle of wine when they come. We're not going to have that awkward moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it'll be fine. But I wish that more of us were better at being a part of the, the larger community, having friends that aren't members of the church, you know, finding other ways to, to be engaged in our town. And some people are really wonderful at that. And some people aren't. But I think there is room for variation there. You know, as long as we know, and as a leader, if, if you have someone who's regularly failing to show up for any activity, maybe it's worth a, hey, we, we missed you at whatever. And, you know, like, find out that they just don't like that thing. Or, you know, they were at yeah. trivia night at the pizza place. And that's okay. There's no law that says we have to only socialize with members of the church. Yeah. yeah I like that. Just like just being okay. Like first, rec just helping them recognize that they, it was noticed that they weren't there, but being okay that they weren't okay, there, right? I think sometimes we get in this mode of like, okay, they're my ministering family. My goal is to get them to every activity. Well, maybe they don't want to go to the activities and that's okay, right? So you got to figure out a different way that that you can serve them, right? Rather than feeling like the goal is that everybody's going to come to every activity and they're going to like right. it. Right. I mean, and if you're a leader, and especially if you're in a position to plan these activities, you do notice who didn't show up and yeah. you feel like, oh my gosh, yeah. what? Why didn't they come? It's because they, they hate yeah, me. They're voting. They're voting for the, the quality of your activity. Right. Like, I'm not going to go because that's a horrible activity. Well, maybe they just didn't want to go. Right. right. You know, like maybe they were doing something else or maybe, yeah, maybe they're just not that social. And, you know, we can have room for different kinds of people in the church. You know, people who love to go to every party and, and they want to run all the games and stuff or people who just show up for sacrament and only want that you know, kind of sacred portion of the church. And, you know, both of those are okay. Yeah. So something you said led me into the, the, another question I have as far as the, the dynamic of having a ward community within a larger, you know, local community that sometimes, you know, you talk a lot about in your book that, you know, one of your experiments was to, to volunteer and by volunteering that helps you in, appreciate where you live and, and find joy in where you live. Cause you're serving. I mean, that's like the gospel principle at its, at its core. But sometimes it's like, well, I don't, yeah, I probably should go volunteer in my community, but all my volunteer bandwidth has been used up in my calling. And so I'm just not going to do that. Right. And so then we sort of become so hyper-focused on our ward because that's, that's our, our social community. That's our volunteer community. And then we leave out the broader community. Any thoughts about what we should be aware or how to approach that more effectively? I think you're right that for a lot of members of the church, especially people who have big time consuming callings, it just feels like I cannot handle one more thing. And, you know, that is kind of the challenge that we are, we're putting so much time into church that we may not feel like we have a lot left over for, for outside church. And, you know, I think there are times and seasons, you know, I think that there are points in life where, you know, you're the bishop, you're the stake president, you get a pass. <laughs> you don't, you don't have to be that involved in the community. But I think there are also ways to blend those things where sometimes we're, we're a little too insular with, you know, not only spending all our time with each other, but only serving ourselves, you know, only serving the members of the ward who need help. And that's brilliant and beautiful to serve members of the ward who need help. But it's also really wonderful when we can look outside the boundaries of our ward and simply find ways to serve in the community. I know when I worked with 
the young women for a long time, they would talk about some of their most valuable and testimony building experiences were were community service opportunities. And sometimes serving in, you know, doing yard work for a lady who wasn't a member of the ward that they didn't know, or caroling the retirement home were even more powerful than things like, you know, cleaning the church, (laughs) because it felt a little different. And it gave them that Mm -hmm. taste of, you know, what it feels like when we're trying to do something Christ-like. In our stake, my husband says that, you know, one of the things he's proudest of as stake president is we've committed to do an annual stake day of service. It happens in the fall. So we've only done it twice. He's, he's only been in for a year and a half, but we choose one of the communities in our stake boundaries. And this is a stake that, like I said, is, is fairly spread out. It's fairly rural. My town is the biggest town within our state boundaries, and we have about 40,000 people. So we choose one of these kind of outline communities and organize three or four community service projects, you know, like painting the shelter at the farmer's market or going and working on someone's roof. And these are, this is service for people who are not members of the church. And we invite the whole stake. So, you know, we get a, a couple hundred people there and the impact is really astounding. The impact on the community, but also the impact on the members who feel more connected to these places that are in our state boundaries and more connected to the residents who live within them. And those kinds of things, you know, that's how we're missionaries too, right? Like that's how we we actually get people to to see us as, you know, not just weirdos, but, you know, people who, who (laughs) love where we live. We, we love our fellow community members and and we want to help them. Yeah. I love that, that, you know, there's so many ideas that come to mind that when we, we take some of these ward focuses and we can turn them outwards, right. And say, this isn't just a, a service day for our ward, but this is a service day for our community. And, and we can sort of be that community group that's spearheading it. Right. And, and take it to the, to the local, you know, town council or city council and say, you know, this is what, what we're going to do. Can we, do you want a part of this and we'll, we'll sponsor part of it or whatever it is, right? Maybe just turning some of these activities that already have momentum and, and turning them towards the, the community, inviting them to participate. Right. Can you imagine like the power of that? Like if the church is the one that it's saying, we're in charge of this, you know, we're, we're making something cool happen in our community. And I think with the new children and youth program, there's a lot more flexibility to do things like that, to you know, you yeah. don't have to show up and do merit badges. You can like do whatever you want. And hopefully some of that, whatever you want portion of, you know, the new youth activities will include a little more community service, a little more like reaching out and getting involved in the place we live. Yeah. Uh, wh- one of the ideas you shared, or these, this concept you shared in the book, as far as being the mayor of your street, <laughs> maybe explain that. Cause I think that's such a, especially in, in a, in our church where we're losing more and more callings, like this could be, you know, in an area outside of Utah where maybe not every person on your street isn't in the ward or a member of the church. You could say, you know, your, your calling is you're actually mayor of your street and it's your job to be proactive on your street, make friends. And then when these activities come around, you're more comfortable with reaching out to them. Right. So what's this mayor of the street concept? Wouldn't that be amazing if that were an actual call? <laughs> you yes, are I think the mayor be. of your street. <laughs> So the idea is that 
when we're active in our neighborhoods, we build social cohesion, which is kind of this idea that neighbors learn how to work together and to solve problems. And often that is spearheaded by one person on the street who, for whatever reason, is just kind of, you know, they know everyone. They're out there, people know who they are. And when there's a problem, you know, like Nancy or whatever, it is the one to talk to. So a lot of us, uh, there are lots of members of the church who are amazing neighbors. I haven't always been one of those people, but I'm trying harder. That's one of the things that I learned from writing This Is Where You Belong is that knowing and trusting and liking your neighbors is really, really important. Um, it has really positive health benefits, really positive well-being benefits. So just a couple of weeks ago, my husband and I invited some of our neighbors over for dinner, three different families that live on our street. And none of them are members of the church. We don't have any members of the church really who live near us. And it was just fantastic. <laughs> you know, we had beef stew and salad. It was simple, but it was this really great opportunity to get to know people. And I think you know, something easy like that, even just knowing your neighbors by name, which not all of us do, can make you feel really connected. You yeah. know, the interesting thing is in Utah or, you know, in areas where there's a high population of members of the church, neighbors and wards really overlap, you know, that you can live in yeah. a neighborhood where almost everyone in your neighborhood is also a member of your ward. So it's kind of like this weird you know, weird relationship. Like, are you my neighbor yeah, or some pros and cons? Right. Yeah. But definitely, um, yeah. You know, that can make you really close with your neighbors and, you know, spend a lot of time with them. But it, the neighbor relationship is also kind of its own thing um, where you're, you're working to preserve your neighborhood or to get to know people. And, you know, anyone can sort of drive that train. You know, you don't need to ask for yeah. permission. You don't need a calling. <laughs> you can just decide, yeah you know, I'm going to be the mayor of this street and sort of get things done around here. Yeah. And I think just by embracing that self-calling, you, you suddenly become, oh, there's, you know, you become the person that notifies everybody of what's going on. You, you uh, are feel more empowered to take that loaf of bread over to the person across the street or whatever it is. Right. And, and again, I just think if, if a bishopric or a ward council step back and say, what are some callings we could create that are both that are beneficial to the ward just as much as they're beneficial to the community. And because I think people generally, I sort of want that experience of feeling like I'm giving to the ward, you know, that I have a calling and they appreciate it. And so by looking for ways, even in community endeavors, you can do that. I think that it's just a win-win all around. Right. right. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So another thing I want to pivot back towards is you talk about the make, don't make circles, make horseshoes. Right? Yeah. Is that, <laughs> so, and I like that the way of, of, thinking of that way. Because one thing I hear, and, and this is, you hear about ward clicks yeah. and everybody's, you know, generally think, ah, oh, no, we don't want ward clicks. Like, and they, they happen, but I, I'm of the opinion and, and now correct me if I'm wrong here. I'd love to hear your opinion. But to me, if there are clicks forming in a ward, that's can also be a very good sign that you're stimulating some community there. And sometimes I worry when leaders are too quick to shut down the click or address the click or, you know, talk to people or, or try and shut that down. Like there's sort of stifling the community aspect that could form an award because if there are four or five families that get together, they really like each other and they're, they're out, they're doing things outside of the ward. Like that's great. Now I get 
there can be clicks to a point where they're they're kind of pushing people away and we don't want that. And so that's why I like the horseshoe, the horseshoe mentality there. But in my mind, I think clicks forming an award isn't necessarily a bad thing and almost should be to the point where we should almost encourage that to some extent. What do you think on that? It's such an interesting point and actually comforting because I, I worry about this a lot. You know, we have some some friends in our ward that we're really tight with and we'll go over to each other's houses and do like game nights or whatever. And I always kind of have in the back of my mind, uh, like, what about so-and-so, <laughs> you know, like they didn't get invited. Yeah. What if they find out they're going to, their feelings are going to be hurt. And the reality is like, not every social event is, that happens between members of the ward can involve everyone. You know, our houses just aren't that big and we shouldn't, we shouldn't necessarily expect that, you know, everyone needs to be invited every time and uh, we're waiting for the ward to do and, you know, an activity for the entire ward. We do want to encourage people to, to make really good friends in the ward. And that, you know, kind of happens naturally over time. You find your people, even within the ward where hopefully everyone is to some extent your friend, but you're going to find the people that you connect with more, you share more in common, you know, for whatever reason. And I think that's okay. You know, I think it's good when you have people that you love hanging out with and you spend time with. So I guess the the consideration or, or maybe, you know, the gut check is, are we only hanging out with these people and never anyone else? What about when new people move into our ward? Do we say to ourselves, ah, I already have my friends, so I don't need to get to know them. Or do we also reach out to them? Are we aware of people in our ward who might not feel accepted, who might not have friends? Like if every single person on the ward roster has their own little group of, you know, five or six families that they're hanging out with, then great. We're, we're all covered. But, you know, the reality is that's not happening. And there's probably at least a few people who feel like, how come I never get invited? <laughs> So we need to, we need to notice when that's happening. Yeah. And, you know, if, if we're having a, you know, game night every single weekend and people are feeling excluded, is there a way to like mix up the crowd or expand it or, you know, do something to include different groups? So it doesn't give the impression that we, we refuse to be friends with you. You know, we want to make sure that, you know, even though I really like this family, I want to be friends with you and I want to go out to lunch with you and I want to go hiking with you. You know, maybe it's finding different ways to connect with different groups of people. Yeah. I like that, that, you know, appreciate the friends you have, but maybe just be a little bit proactive of reaching out to another family, inviting them here and there, or, or being mindful of those that you don't see maybe that they have that group of friends in the ward that uh, they're benefiting from. So invite them into your little, your click right. Right, to see if, <laughs> if that jives with yeah. them. Right. Let's see. Let's talk about as far as detaching from a ward. And this is where <laughs> you mentioned this, I think, in the last chapter, one of the last chapters, as far as you know, like you had a friend who just loved the the Blacksburg community, but they got a job offer elsewhere and they had to leave. And and man, you work so hard for these these friendships and especially in a ward, right? Like, oh, I know, you know, I've, I've enjoyed serving in the youth program and I love my counselors and, and now we got to move. And this has been really hard for me that I didn't. <laughs> I joke that I didn't know I I didn't have any friends until I moved out of my stake because because it, being in leadership I had these like 
these things built in. Like every Tuesday as a bishop, I knew that I'd get with my boys and they, and, you know, they're my counselors and we go to the church and we'd have spiritual talk. We'd talk about the ward. We'd figure out interesting problems. And, and I just thought, well, that's just part of the calling, but I didn't realize how much that was feeding my soul from friendship. Right. And then I got put in a state presidency and the same thing. I'm like, wow, I'd love these guys. And, and then it came time for me to move. And it was still like, well, of course we're going to talk. Like, of course you're going to like still call me and whatever. And, and they, they do to some extent, but it's just not the same. And so I sort of a few, like a year after I'm just like, huh, I don't have any friends, you know? <laughs> so I'm just curious, like what advice would you give someone when you do love the ward and you do love what you're doing and you like that you're engaged in an area, but now you have to, you have to leave that warm, comfy blanket and you have to be the new guy again. Oh man, that's just brutal. <laughs> um, because, you know, most of us have been there, right? You know, whether in moving to a new ward or simply being released from a calling and, you know, those people that you spent all your time with, all of a sudden you're not doing that anymore. You know, I think there's, you know, there's a value to trying to maintain those old friendships, you know, get together periodically or whatever. But I also think the church is pretty well set up to kind of push people forward. You know, when you're released from a leadership position, you've been, you know, spending all your time with this presidency, you're really tight and you get released, you move on pretty fast to, to yeah. the new, you know, the new calling and the new, you know, church colleagues, so to speak. And that can be kind of heartbreaking sometimes. But I think it goes back to that idea of, engagement that we were talking about, you know, you engage in the new place where you are. And that doesn't mean that you, you don't want to be friends with the old people. I moved to Blacksburg from Austin and had developed a pretty solid group of girlfriends in Austin that when I moved, it was kind of heartrending to leave them behind. So, you know, within that first six months after I moved, they came out and we did a girl's trip to Washington, D.C. And, you know, I've I've been back to Austin and we've we've kept in touch on social media. So there are ways to extend those friendships. But sometimes, you know, for looking at the past, at the old friendships, we kind of lose focus on what can we do now to develop friendships in the place where we live. Um yeah, it is. It is kind of the challenge. Like again, talking about uh, a geography-based church. I remember when we moved to Ames, Iowa, for my husband to start a PhD program there. We'd only been there about eight or nine months, and the wards split. And in that eight or nine months, we'd made some really good friends, and all of a sudden, a lot of them were in the other ward. And we told ourselves. Oh, we're going to see them, you know, like we're, yeah. we're definitely going to hang out. We're, we're going to, you know, we're going to bridge this gap. And the reality was we didn't, you know, like that we'd see yeah. them occasionally. We'd see them at state conference. We were always so happy to run into them, but it was the church is sort of designed for you to be friends with the people in your ward right now. And it takes, takes a lot of extra effort to, to reach out to people beyond that, which which may totally be worth it. Again, what we were talking about, you don't have to have all your friends from the ward. Um, but when you move, um, it's worthwhile to, to put your, your effort and your attention into the place that you are, you are now um, and, and engage with those people a little more. But it is hard. Yeah. 
So I should just get over it. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Move on, Kurt. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Good. All right. I just need someone right, to, just someone to smack but, you in the face. But, but I've just noticed that looking back on that experience, I realized that what was giving me such strong bond and such fr strong friendship was a responsibility that forced me into a room with them every mm -hmm. week. And so one of my new focuses, and I think some of this motivation comes from reading your book, is that I thought, you know, in this coming year, I'm gonna, I want to just find two times a month that's like solid on the calendar that I'm going to find a group of, of my best guys. And we're just saying, listen, we're every second and or fourth Tuesday or whatever, you're coming over to my house. We're just going to hang out for an hour, bring something to eat, whatever. And we're, I think it's just like creating a structure that forces you to do it. Cause like you said, there one reason why you ran into those friends is because you had state conference. You both were going to mm -hmm. state conference, right? You don't just need that extra little motivation, that push to say, this is what we do. And Oh, look, there's friends here. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, that was kind of the concept behind like relief society groups. Um, and mm -hmm. So in our ward, I'm in charge of Lunch Bunch. <laughs> um, so, oh, nice. you know, nice name. Um, Speaking of made up <laughs> right, <exactly. laughs> So once a month we have lunch and it's just like on the calendar. It's the fourth Wednesday and, you know, the location changes. Maybe it's a Panera or maybe, you know, it's Zoe's Kitchen or whatever. But it's just kind of like this standing date. And I show up. And I never know who else is going to show up. And it really is like a changing cast of characters. It's just whoever happened to be free that day. But, you know, by my basically saying, I'm going to be at this restaurant, you know, I'm going to be there at 1145. Mm -hmm. And if you want to come hang out, like come hang out has, it definitely means that I socialize more than I would have. I think, you know, book club is like that too. But, you know, speaking of callings and how we connect, I think also you know, a big thing that makes us connect with the people who we work with in presidencies or in callings is that we really are literally serving together, you know, like we're doing it out of love. We're, we're trying to make something happen together to make a project happen. I was in a, a stake girls camp presidency and man, I love those ladies, you know, like you go camping with them and, you know, you're sleeping in a tent together and you get really tight. And it was kind of the same thing you're talking about when, when the presidency was released or I was released to, to serve in seminary. Like I cried because I was going to miss the calling, but I was going to miss those ladies too. And yeah. it's been hard to maintain those friendships. But, you know, I think that idea that when we serve together, when we create something together, when we're, you know, we're focused on loving other people together, that brings us together. That can maybe motivate us to take on community projects with people that we like and give us something to, to work on with other people. Yeah, no, that's powerful. I love that. Our next question I have is as far as this concept of of what is it with Utah that all roads lead to Utah? It seems that everybody moves back to Utah, right? This is Zion, right? But what I'm saying is that it seems like everybody has family in Utah. Everybody moves back to Utah at some point or looks for opportunities to come to Utah. So what should we consider? I mean, should family always be the main goal in establishing ourselves in the community? Obviously, it's nice. I mean, I love being around my family, but is there anything to consider there? Or is it overrated to live near family? And my mom is listening to this and probably joking. But anyways, any thoughts well, there? I personally think that everyone should move to Southwest Virginia, <laughs> the, the okay. Pembroke stake. <laughs> no, it is, even when you take the church out of this, people 
thrive when they live close to family. One of the, the pieces of data that came up when I was researching the book was that if you live near six members of your family, within an hour's drive of six members of your family, you are far less likely to want to move than if you don't. But I do think that it is a choice we make. Obviously, we're a family-focused church, and a lot of people get a lot of joy out of living near grandparents and aunts and uncles and you know, seeing their kids grow up with their cousins. We never really went that route. Um, we spent two years in, in St. George, and that was the closest we ever got to living you know, near grandparents. We were four hours away from my husband's parents in Pleasant Grove, Utah. But after that, we, we moved to Iowa, and we felt called to other things. And I think sometimes it ends up being a choice between, I want to live in Utah near my family, or, you know, maybe I'm going to live outside of Utah and perhaps have more opportunities to serve in the church. That certainly isn't the only choice. And I don't want to imply that people who live in Utah or in, you know, church population centers are choosing to not serve. But I do think that you can make a choice not to live super close to family. So we've also encountered a couple families in, you know, in our years in the church who have moved away from the West and brought families with them. When we lived in Iowa, there was a family, the Rice family. They had four kids. One daughter had come to Iowa State for grad school and then another came and then the son came and then pretty mm -hmm. soon three out of the four kids and the parents all lived in this small town in Iowa that none of them had originally grown up in, but they, they made it their own. I also think that one of the things that you may get choosing to live outside of church population centers, even if that may mean living a little farther away from family than you would like, is you find that your, your church family really does become family. We have a couple families in our ward here in Blacksburg who have gone through crises you know, health crises, losing a spouse. And they both, for different reasons, moved closer to family and both ended up coming back to Blacksburg and saying that they felt like they had more support here with their friends who were like family than they did with their actual relatives where they're from. That's certainly not the case for everyone. But I do think that when we live away from family, there are things that we lose from that. You know, our kids are, our older daughter is turning 18 and our younger daughter is turning 13. And we've kind of had to accept that never really grown up around their family. They, they see their cousins, you know, maybe once every couple of years, they're not really tight with their grandparents just because the grandparents are in the West and we've been in the East coast for seven years. But We've gained really strong relationships with the people who are in our ward, turning those ward friends into family that we really feel like we can rely on and who care for us deeply. And we've also, because we've chosen to live away from Utah or Arizona, we've definitely gotten opportunities to serve in the church and in the community that I, I'm not sure we would have gotten living in the West. You know, my husband sometimes says, 
if I lived in Utah, I would not be the state president. (laughs) You know, like maybe that's just like a low self-esteem moment, but kind of like you said earlier, like there are 50 guys in my ward who could, who could be a fabulous bishop. But if you live in rural Southwest Virginia and you come into church and you have, you know, like any sort of level of leadership skills, they are so happy to see you. Yeah. You'll never get right. bored. <laughs> you will be put to work for sure. Yeah. No, that, that's powerful. And there's sort of, and you talk about, I live in the first part. I shared it with my wife. Oh my goodness. This house that I'm in right now, the way that we found this house is we didn't need to move. We weren't looking for a place to move, but she just thought maybe I'll just get on and look at the it's list. Always dangerous. You talk about, <laughs> you talk about this, like it's your, what's your addiction? Yes. Like I just have to see what's available. <laughs> right. Going and, on Zillow uh, is my crack. <laughs> right. And, uh, and so you can get in this mode where you just sort of fantasize about living somewhere else. Like even now, you, you know, it's the dead of winter here in Utah and, and I get on Instagram, I see friends down in Arizona and I'm like, Hmm, what about that would be like. Right. And, and so sometimes I, I do fantasize about what if I just lived in rural Oklahoma? Like, yeah, I could really make a contribution in that local ward in the church and the community. And I have no place to go there, but or no reason to go there, but Maybe, you know, why don't we just give it a go? But again, I, and that was what I appreciate about the book you did is that you really, and, and correct me if this is not the message you're getting across, but really just wherever you are, there can be a reason for you there. There can be a purpose. There can be happiness. And it doesn't have to be, have all these bells and whistles or fulfill your expectations. You really just have to, I mean, it's, it's like a marriage, right? Like, sure, you had all these dreams and hopes going into the marriage and then reality <laughs> hits and you think, huh. That's not how it's going to be, huh? Okay. But you recalibrate and you do find joy and even deeper joy by living in that, in that area. Absolutely. Right? You know, that, that was the message. That was definitely the message I wanted to get across in the book. I think when I started writing it, I really thought if you're rooted, you know, if you really feel like you love your community, that means you stay forever and you never move and you stop doing what, what we've been doing, which is, you know, moving around every few years you just kind of like stick and stay put for a while. And the reality is that doesn't always work. You know, we are drawn to new places, not only for the practical things like jobs, or sometimes we we do want to get closer to family, but sometimes if I think we're just called <laughs> to new places, I think I certainly believe, and I've heard a lot of stories along the lines of people feeling spiritually prompted to move to a new place. And I think both of those things are great. Either you've been in your community for a long time and you are are deeply rooted and planted there and connected, or you find a new place and learn how to fall in love with it and learn how to feel connected to it. And both of those are, are valuable approaches. But I think no matter where you live, whether it's someplace you already love or someplace you're struggling to love, you can deepen your connection. You can feel happier. You can feel a greater sense of purpose and contribution in your place and, you know, related in your, your ward or branch. Yeah. Love that. Before we wrap up, is there any principal point thing that I, I didn't ask about that as it relates to the church or your research or anything that you want to make sure we cover before we, we wrap up? So one of the questions that you asked which I thought was really important to think about is about two-hour church. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I sent you that question. That yeah, you I thought that was such a a great question because I think that maybe has been one of the unintended consequences of two hour church is that we've lost a little bit of that ability to connect. And I think I definitely am happy with two hour church. I'm not advocating (laughs) a return to three hour church, but when elder cook announced it, he mentioned specifically, you know, places where people would gather for, you know, meals after church or linger longers or things like that. And he okayed it and said, you don't even need Mm -hmm. permission from your ward or branch to do this. Like it is totally fine. And I think that is sort of the message for us in in our wars that we don't have to ask permission, you know, callings are great, but we don't have to ask permission to reach out to other people or to try and find the right friends for us or form more of a sense of community. We can do it on our own in a way that works well for us. It doesn't have to be inviting people over for dinner. It doesn't have to be game night. It can be having a walking buddy or, you know, a friend that you call, you know, once a week or something like that. So I think we, we can create community in our wards and, and in our actual places or towns or cities where we're living just by being a little more intentional and choosing behaviors that will help us feel more connected. And I've seen in my own life that has a big impact that it can make us just feel happier and more content where we are. So we aren't doing that that thing where we hop on Zillow and, you know, like imagine how good our life would be in, in the new place, which I imagine is uh, especially tempting for leaders in the church who think, well, if I just moved, I would not be the bishop anymore. (laughs) Right. This would all be over, (laughs) you know, very tempting to start hunting for a new job out of state when you get a a major leadership calling in the church. But, you know, sometimes when we just like put down roots and just decide, this is my community that I'm going to serve. It it can be a huge blessing. Yeah. And, and when you make that commitment, I, I think that's when the Lord really opens up some doors and opportunities. When you say, I'm, I'm staying no matter right. what, or I'm not, I'm not waiting for my location to make me happy. I think that's when, you know, some miracles can happen. Yeah. So anything else we're missing, Melody, that uh, you wanted to hit on? There was one story. <laughs> yeah. No, I'd love to hear it. Well, you know, when we think about how we relate to our places. I think I've heard this spoken about really powerfully in conference just once, and it was 2013 and elder Stanley Ellis of the 70 gave a talk. And he, he said something to ask is where are we needed? He said he was the stake president in Houston for 16 years. And in in those 16 years, one time he said all the time families would call up and they'd want to know which ward had the best youth program or the most people or whatever. And he said, one time in 16 years, a family said, what ward needs us? What ward needs a good family? You know, where can we serve? And I love that story stuck with me because I love that attitude of, you know, saying not what's in it for me, like who can provide the best services or, you know, the most entertaining speakers or, or whatever, but you know, how can I contribute? And I think when we have that mindset, we find places to serve. Yeah. I love it. 
So uh, tell us if, if someone's interested in, in your work and obviously getting the book, uh, there's good old Amazon. Is that where you'd send them or, or where can people connect with you and learn more about uh, your book and, and uh, your writing? You can come to my website, which is my name, MelodyWarnick.com. Um, and there are links to buy the book. And I also have a newsletter that I send out about every month that talks about place and friends and how to feel more connected to where we are. Nice. So when is the This Is Where You Belong podcast going to start? <laughs> oh, yeah, de- definitely in the hopper on that. No, it's, oh, okay. it's coming. Right. It's a long yeah. okay. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, good. Well, this uh, discussion went longer than usual, but I think I enjoyed it. And uh, I think it's just an important one. Kind of one of those things that it's an issue in so many lives of members of the church, but we never really talk about right. it or... Uh, the good and bad of it all. And so I think this is so beneficial. I know I, I benefited from it. Last question I have for you, Melody, is as you have lived in Blacksburg, Virginia, mm-hmm. that's right, Blacksburg, yeah. right? Blacksburg, Virginia, and written this book, how has that journey, how has your location made you a better disciple of Jesus Christ? I think the journey of doing the behavior changes, the experiments have, that's led me more into loving other people, basically. I think it kind of comes down to the true basics of the gospel and living the second great commandment. When we connect with other people, either in our ward or in our community, it's not just to make us feel better or to make us, you know, have something to do on on Saturday night. It's about making other people's lives better and serving people. And so all the time that I'm talking about place and feeling better about where you live, it almost always in the research and in my own experience comes back to building relationships with people. And I think relationships with people are one of the, that's the key element or one of the key elements of living a Christ-like life is loving all kinds of people and finding ways to serve them. So writing the book, living in a town far, far away from any church population center has given me eyes to see, chances to serve. It's given me opportunities to contribute to my my church and my place community and hopefully made me a slightly better person as I did it. That concludes my interview with Melody Warnick. Man, just so much enjoyed that discussion. I hope you don't mind me going a little long there, but I, I was just enjoying it. And I said, well, I might as well just share the full interview with you, right? But really, these have given me a lot of her book and the, her research and, and everything's just given me moments to pause and just consider my own journey. I just, again, appreciate these concepts and I would encourage you to, to really check out her book, especially those who are in a ward that are just struggling with the ward, whether it's the leadership, whether it's the the teacher, whether whatever it is, it may not even be the people. Go check out the book, This Is Where You Belong, and it's a good read and really gives you some applicable exercises and experiments that you can do. But that's really what it came down to for me is if I'm not feeling it in an area, I'm just going to start experimenting and and mix it up a little bit and see who I can connect with, see how I can volunteer, see how I can lend my skills. I mean, and there's those are just a few of the ideas that she talks about in this book, but definitely worth a read. 
maybe a good book group for your ward council to read and discuss how you can make your ward stimulate more cohesion and uh, stimulate a ward where people want to be. And uh, and I think we have a, a bias as leaders when we are the bishop or in the bishopric, we think, you know, this is a pretty good place. Well, that's because you're involved, you're engaged in the area. There, there may be people who are less engaged who don't see it the same way. And so by bringing some of these uh, principles to the surface, you can really help them find a better place, a place where they belong. And that concludes this throwback episode of the Leading Saints podcast. And remember, to get on the email newsletter list, simply go to leadingsaints.org slash 14. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.